Welcome to another edition of Runs in the Family. I'm Dink Taylor along with Skylar Taylor. And we got a special guest today. Rob Youngren is here with us. And I don't know if many people know Rob around, but they should, if they're in the ultramarathon world, know a little bit about Rob. Um, say hello, Rob. Hey, how's it going? And when did you start ultramarathoning, Rob? I remember you back in the, probably in the 90s is when I first met you. Let's go back to when we first met. Okay, okay. Can you recall that time? Man, that was probably, so the Pine Mountain, I think maybe. And probably that, that was, was early 90s? Yeah, mid, mid 90s maybe, 96, 97. Somewhere around in there. Yeah, I started a little before then, but I know I met you guys, you and Dwayne and Craig. And how old were you then? I think it's about 20, 22, 23 years. You were early 20s, yeah. I do remember that. And and when did you start ultramarathoning? So I, will just, I tell you what, before you talk about yeah. ultramarathoning, let's go all the way back to maybe when you were in high school, because I know you have heard stories that you ran in high school, is that correct? Yeah, I started my junior year in high school. Actually, I started running, period, off a, a dare. Uh, I was into skateboarding back then. And a, a skater friend of mine was on the cross country team, and I don't know we're you know talking talking big, talking smack and stuff, and I don't know how we came around to it, but basically, long and short of it was he he said he wouldn't last a, a week on the cross country team. Whoa! And so that was a that was a challenge, and so I said, all right, all right. And where was this? Where was this? Oh uh, yeah, okay. So I grew up in uh, Sacramento, Sacramento, California. California. Yep. Yeah. Back in the this was 1991. Um, I started running. So this was the summertime, and so the, the cross-country team, every summer they had a, like a summer camp, basically. You kind of go, if you're interested in the team or want to maintain fitness over the summer, you go run with the team. And so I walked on, and it was, I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like Skyler. Yeah, it was, it was difficult. I was never been so sore and so tired. I thought it was awful. I'm like, what am I doing? But I mean, my pride kept me going, you know, because I didn't want to... And what, what year was this in high school? That was my junior year. Junior year? Yeah, so kind of a late starter compared to my peers. You know, they'd already been running a number of years at that time. But I'd been, you know, even before then, you know, between the skateboarding, I was pretty active. I was in Boy Scouts, you know, I'm, I'm an Eagle Scout, so I did a, cool. lot of, a lot of backpacking and, you know, a lot of distance hiking. So, I mean, I was in shape, sort of, but not, you know, not definitely not running kind of shape. And then, so, what was some highlights of your high school running careers in those two years of cross-country and track? Uh, well, I got I got my mile time under five minutes. I got down nice. to, like, like, a 4.48 in high rolling. school. That's rolling, isn't it, Scott? It was probably, like, last on the team, though, because we had, we had some all-stars. <laughs> you know, California is kind of a big, big place and real competitive, and I was lucky to even make some of the travel squads. Um, and I had a, like a sub sub ten minute two mile like one time. Nice, but but that was, that's you know that's back in Bible times. That's so he obviously <laughs> Rob had some real speed, didn't he there, Skyler? Yeah, and, and it didn't take that much time if you started junior year of high school and then. Yeah, yeah, I think that came probably my senior year. The first year was just <clears throat> working the rust off, getting adjusted. I was injured a lot. I mean, not anything like broken or anything, but you know the typical. You know, shin splints and, you know, all, all the muscle tightness. Everything that new runners go through, I went through. So um, it, it took time, some time to, 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 to 
develop. So you graduated from high school in... 93. Went to where? I went to... So I went about as far away as I could. I went to... Uh, off to Virginia, to Virginia Military Institute. So I went from... <laughs> Fairly liberal, you know, high school liberal state to probably one of the more conservative. <laughs> I just wanted something totally different, as far away as possible, just to, you know, experience a different kind of kind of life. And so I did that. It's four years there. And were you running during this time? Not right away. I thought I thought there's no way I can run on the team. You know, these guys are going to be, you know, this is college level. I mean, I, I thought I was. A decent runner, but I figured, you know, collegiate level, even a small school like that, because we only had, um, I think, about 1,500, you know, students there total. Um, I thought, no way. So I, I waited. I didn't run my the first semester, so I didn't run cross-country. But then I decided, heck, you know, what the heck, I'll, I'll walk on and see. Either, you know, they let me run or they don't. So I, I walked on, and, um, and you know, at this, that school they had an indoor program you know when I was running in California we didn't have indoor track it was just cross country and outdoor so I walked on during indoor season and yeah they, they let me run that's cool and uh but again it was like learning to run all over again because that you know a collegiate level program even a small program like that um it's it a real it was, deal it was real deal because it turns out um even being a small school we were typically like conference champions like every year like in indoor and outdoor track so there was a it was a tough squad and I didn't know that you know going <laughs> in but yeah that was that was rough but, but it was it was a great place to to go to school because we were uh, maybe only a 20 minute drive from the Appalachian Trail uh, so I quickly learned going to a military school I wanted to get out of there every weekend I could <laughs> which didn't happen right away because you're being a military school you you earn pr- privileges over the years you can do more and more stuff and so finally when I could I started getting out on the Appalachian Trail like every weekend you know just go for long hikes and runs and stuff well, like that, that was had to be pretty fun yeah and it was right in the as you, uh, you might guess it's it was right in the mountain masochist area um because, you know, Mount Masochus, 50 Mile, yep. starts in Lynchburg, Virginia. That's only like a 30-minute drive from... Yeah, and we crossed the AT a couple of times yeah. during that 50-mile trail race. Right. And, um, so then, so how did the ultra scene come on for you, the ultra marathoning? So that started, I think, somewhere, I think it was my junior year of uh, school, you know, uh, college. I got kind of burned out from, from the running because it was, you know, three seasons of running hard hard all the time there was no break and even the summertime you know they expected you to maintain fitness i mean they've checked you we come back from uh summer break and they would check our body fat and make sure <laughs> you know you hadn't uh, plumped up you know so <laughs> you, so you had to kind of stay on it or you would get cut and i was my talent level wasn't that great because again it was a kind of a we had some good good long distance runners so basically what happened was every they would score our workouts you had to they would take top so many as your travel squad so every workout i was like a, it was race pace for me so i, I burned myself out in practices just to make travel squad and of course what do you expect all my races were horrible I was, <laughs> I was never recovered i would get sick i was tired wow so began to be too much and so around about that time i started you know hearing about these ultra marathons and you know, and like I said, I visited the AT all the time. Like, man, you know, this is 
something I think I want to maybe see if I'm any good at or just something different, you know. And so where did you sign up for your first altar? Uh, so right away, you know, growing up in Sacramento, that's real close to Auburn, California, which is the finish line for the Western States 100. So I'll, even when I started writing, I, I knew all about Western States. Like you couldn't. Because where you grew up. Yeah, you would see it in the newspapers. Remember when they used to have oh, yeah. newspapers? Oh, yeah. I've seen <laughs> Hey, I've still got some newspaper yeah. clippings from Western States so, when I was there. So I caught the bug early. Like I, you know, I, I knew about it. I had some friends I ran with in the summer back home that had run Western States. And so they said, hey, you need to, you should try this out, you know. And, uh, and so about that, about that time, that, I think the summer of my junior year, um, it's like, well, I want to run Western States. What do I have to do to do that? And so the first, basically started training for a 50-mile race is my first ultra. And it was in the fall of, I think it was 95 or 96. Um, yeah, 95 to, to qualify. That's, that was my whole goal was to just qualify. Back then, all you needed was a 50-miler, right? Right, just a, a 50-miler. So I did did my first ultra, which is a 50-mile race in my hometown. So I literally flew home just to run this race and flew, flew back to, to Which school. one was it, American River? No, it was, they, they used to have this, it was a six-day race at a, this little park called Gibson Ranch. Oh, yeah, I remember and that. And so the, the main race was a six-day, but in, in between different days, they had other events, too. Like, they had, like, a 100-mile race. It was, like, on a, started on a Friday, and then the Saturday was, like, a 50-mile race. And so I ran the 50-mile race, which is, it was a bunch of, Three mile loops. Basically. Yeah, I remember loops. Yeah. yeah. So it was really boring, but that's kind of how I trained. I knew, um, knew about the course. Cause I'd run there. I'd run cross country races there, so I knew all about this park. And so that's what I did. And I was like, you know, I think I could run, you know, eight minute pace because I'm, I'm so used to running, you know, you know, six minute pace or faster these races. Like eight, I, probably same kind of slow. Yeah. So I was like, oh, eight minute pace. Surely I could just. Just 50 miles. That. So no that's the way I trained. I did a lot of solo runs because I couldn't get it, you know, being at the, the school I was, I couldn't go to races very often. So I just had to train where I was. And so I did a lot of long runs at eight minute pace and didn't think anything about it, you know, run 20, 30 mile runs, eight minute pace you know, <laughs> with elevation, you know. Oh, yeah. And it's like, no, no problem. Yeah, and you were young. And I was young, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so sure enough, I showed up to the race and that's exactly what I did. I ran like a six, sub 640. Perfect. And uh, did you register for Western after that? I did, and uh, I didn't get. You know, of course, you know, even back then, you know, over twenty years ago, it was still impossible to get in. I think that's when it just started getting hard to get yeah. in. Was the mid nineties, um, somewhere around in there? Because I don't. Before that, I don't recall ever having a problem getting in. No, um, no. but then so. it started getting difficult at that time. So, how did we end up meeting? So I think. I want to say, didn't yes. you get moved to Panama City or somewhere? Right. So I graduated, you know, that happened after I graduated from VMI. And uh, so I spent some time. I was technically, I was in the Navy for a year because um, I, I graduated with a commission in the, the U.S. Navy. But I kind of had cold feet about it going in. I wasn't sure if that's what I wanted to do, but I decided to just give it a chance. And so uh, while I was in my first school, I was in the explosive ordnance disposal program and so the first phase of that program is dive school like you learn to be a you know navy diver basically so i was mm. in panama city going through that training program and i don't know I, I enjoyed the program but i was like i didn't really want to be an officer it was 
not what I wanted. Uh, just didn't feel like it was a good fit for me. So basically, I, I, I got out and uh, you know paid back you know whatever money I owe because they kind of helped pay my way through school. I was at ROTC. So I did all that, did, did the right thing. But when I was in Florida, I spent you know, every weekend, I mean, I, was, I went race crazy. And know? I feel like that's <laughs> when the time we met. Cause it I is. Because you so, were still right, living Florida. Right. So basically, I was, I was living in Panama City, and I came up, uh, I think, I can't remember specifically when I met you guys. I, I thought it was a Pine Mountain race, but I know for, well for sure I came up for Mountain Mist. Mountain Mist. Um, I remember seeing you in the, at the old Big Dipper, Little Dipper, hundred k. Yeah, time. that was like ninety eight or so. You were just crewing for yeah. some for us that day. I yeah, because I, I think I was getting ready to do the the Grand Slam. I think the Western States was like the following weekend or something. That's when I finally got in. It was ninety eight was uh, my first year. And I remember that perfectly. Do you, Scott, yeah. have you ever heard him talk about doing? He was actually the youngest at the time to ever do the Grand Slam. How, let's talk yeah. about that a little bit. Yeah, so that was 1998. Yeah. I was 20. Well, first race I was still 23, but basically 24 years old. Had no clue what I was getting Doing into. the original Grand Slam. Right. That was uh, the first race was Old Dominion, 100 in Virginia. And so that was my first that was also my first hundred mile because. So your first hundred was a was a series of doing the Grand Slam. Well, I'd already, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I did I did Old Dominion um, two years. Um, oh yeah, and you ran pretty that. fast too, if I remember right. I ran a sub eighteen. Yeah, it was like seventeen something. But it was I had perfect training conditions. I was still in school. Um, the course was only like a two hour drive away, so I was spending like every weekend out there doing like long training runs. So I was I was primed. You know, I never. And I still thought it wasn't enough training, you know what I mean? I look back on those days, I look at my old logs, I'm like, how on earth did I ever train? Yeah, I don't like, like looking you know? at my old logs now. It's embarrassing. It scares me. How, yeah. It's hard enough to get out the door these days. So but, you got so that you did Old Dominion, then what? Right then, Western States. That's, a, that's the same. Didn't, this, weren't you coloring your hair a different color every race? Yeah, that was, it was <laughs> funny. I don't know what got into me, but I, it wasn't even just the hair. I was like, I'm going to do a different color you know, outfit for each race. I don't know <laughs> what possessed me. I remember so, that. So I had a different, you know, green, blue, red, whatever it was that, you know, I even painted my shoes. It was really, it's silly. I can, I've got some old pictures I should, <laughs> I should post, you know, scan so, and post them. Yeah, really something to do. But even, uh, you know, you've maybe talked about Ann Trayson in the past, but you know, she's a famous ultra runner, won Western States so many times. A bunch of times. And she was doing the slam that year as well. Um, her first and only time and even to this day you know I'll, I'll see her on facebook i'll comment on something and she remembers me as the colored hair guy <laughs> so it's kind of funny yeah i, I even remember the yeah. different color hairs and yeah, that was a what, long time ago it's a uh, youth you know but uh so you did old western then it then leadville, leadville and, and wasatch and wasatch front, yeah the, the grand slam and that, and that killed me now you, you hear about these folks doing you know 100 mile every weekend i mean i did four over a i guess it's like a 16 week period but that about killed me <laughs> so did the grand slam you're at the time the youngest to ever do it right yeah at the time yep. and then um from there when did you somewhere along the way you started doing like some really long stuff and i can recall even i don't know even in more recent years even though it's not as recent as it was like you started doing stuff like uh setting the record for the entire Fastest known time for Penn Hody. Is there other stuff like that, or 
Yeah, that's about, I mean, I don't know, for some people, I can't speak for all ultra runners, or certainly myself, it's, it feels, I feel like, kind of once I've done something, I, I feel like the urge, I gotta up the ante a little bit, like, if I want to kind of continue to grow and learn about myself and grow in the sport, I feel like I need to push the boundaries a bit, do something that's harder, harder, or gets me out of my comfort zone a bit, um, out of my wheelhouse. So, so you, to speak. but you've done a uh, ball state. So I've attempted. I've never, I've never finished it. How many times have you been to ball state? <laughs> uh, we attempted it twice, and that's five hundred k, right? Five hundred k, and you know, Kathy ended up finishing last summer. You're right, and uh, so the so you know did you know a bunch of, you know the Grand Slam and then then it was like okay I got, got into Hard Rock do the Hard Rock 100 and I was like the youngest to finish that one at the time. Really? And how many finishes you got at Hard Rock? Uh, five. Wow. Do you know five that, Scotty? I know five. No. Yeah. Five finishes at the Hard Rock one. Has anybody around here got anything close to that? I'm not sure. I don't think anyone else has finished. Who's even attempted it from around here? There's, there's, Dwayne has been several now. Yeah, Dwayne's he attempted it twice, but he didn't make it, did he? No, the altitude. Altitude, I tell you, it's it's no joke. Like (laughs) those five finishes, my two of my best ones were when I was fortunate enough to go out, you know, ten days ahead of time, and it makes a huge difference. Yeah, stay out. Finished three times unacclimated basically getting there as late as possible and it was ugly it was mm. i wouldn't <laughs> i don't recommend, recommend that was, i think you need not to be fun. out there and the only reason i finished i was in great shape and had low expectations and and then you also had interest in the barkley marathons right and that that came from you and Dwayne, and, and uh david, especially Dwayne. <laughs> yeah especially Dwayne. And, well horton too and david horton was a huge influence because like i said he he was teaching at you know lynchburg you know just a just a short commute away and so even back then you know this is almost kind of pre-internet we'd actually write letters back and forth i was actually writing him letters i asking him for advice i still have a couple letters from him well that's kind of cool and he was talking about the barclay marathons and, and like i said i was trying to run get as much experience as i could so i was doing so much and he invited me to do this what he called a, a barclay training run I can't remember. I think it was '97. This was a year or two before he finally he finally finished. He was like the first American, along with Blake Wood, to finish the the Barkley 100. So he has these so-called Barkley training runs, and it was uh, he wanted to run. It was this hundred-mile section on the Appalachian Trail that I guess his club's responsible for in Virginia. It's kind of in the area. It's the same area where I'd been been training on, and he wanted to do it under a day. Cool. So he invited a bunch in of... training. Yeah. And this section had, I think, you know, almost like 22,000, 23,000 feet of climb. Of course. You know, very infrequent trail ac- you know, access where, you know, a crew could get to you. So I thought, oh, why not? This would be fun. <laughs> and to top it off, he wanted, you know, he wanted to be on the same calendar day. So we started at midnight. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and ran through the night. It was like in a May time frame. And... At the time, and for for a long time, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. Because only out of about sixteen people, including names like Courtney Campbell, Mike Moore, and some of the old names that were pretty good runners at the time, Eric Clifton was there. (laughs) Everybody dropped out except for me and and Horton. Nice. And I just because I know else nowhere nowhere else to go really. I was kind of just dumb and just hanging on, (laughs) and probably just naive enough to not know 
how tough it would be because I think even at that time I didn't have a whole lot of experience and so I think that's why it never surprises me when I hear about new ultra runners doing like really well at some of these big races and stuff because I think that um, ignorance is bliss sometimes like you don't know once you've kind of been there and been burned you kind of <laughs> you kind of know you're like well this is not going to be good maybe I'll yeah, I only had to go you know. to Barkley one time to understand that, right. that so, you know, I didn't didn't particularly want to go back. <laughs> so that's how I learned about the Barkley, obviously. Was so how many times did you go to Barkley? Gosh, I think I was, someone asked the other day, I think I've been up there eight times. A lot. Yeah. And DeWine probably been there. Over, over many years. I mean, I didn't go every year, obviously. And I really didn't have any kind of success until, um, you know, 2011, 2012. When Those I, fun run finishes? 2012 was, um, 2011 was was a first serious attempt because back then, you know, Bar- Barkley was, it was not a big deal. Like, I mean, it was a big deal if you knew about it, but nobody nobody knew about it. If you knew when and where to show up, chances are you could you could do it. It wasn't the... Yeah, I don't you know, remember having Netflix any problem thing. getting yeah. in. Yeah, yeah me, me neither. And uh, so finally, you know, Dwayne... Um, <clears throat> you know, we were good friends, but also, you know, rivals, too. I mean, competitive, yeah. Dwayne was yeah, real competitive. <laughs> and so, you know, neither of us really took Barkley all that seriously. We, we'd go have fun. It was a weekend of fun. Um, we thought those yahoos that were trying to really do well were kind of nuts. But then finally, I think it was 2000, gosh, eight or nine, I think Dwayne finally, he actually got a fun run in. And that was super inspirational to me. But also, I was like at the same time, like man, it's like I gotta, I gotta finish this now, you I know, because Dwayne did it, you know. So I finally started to take it seriously, and I think I matured enough. I was still pretty young when I was going there at first, you know. I'm like Dink, you were, you learned your lesson. You're like, I don't, I don't need to do this anymore. I, I didn't learn my lesson. I had, to, <laughs> <laughs> I had to go, go back, and so I finally I took it seriously in 2011 with, and we Dwayne and I kind of teamed up, and. Sometimes teaming up is good. Sometimes it's bad. This time it wasn't so good because, you, you know, you get uh, somebody starts feeling bad and you kind of start feeling bad too, even though you may not feel bad. It's kind of it's hard to describe. Um, so we we end up quitting somewhere on the, the second loop, but that that started the fire. Like, hey, I think I know what I need to do, and so I trained even harder, and uh, you know, got a fun run in the the next year, and that's when the, the they had the Barkley movie. That film crew was there. Yeah, you're you're in that Netflix movie, aren't you? Yeah, the Barkley movie. That's kind of cool. Which You've is, seen that, hadn't you, Scott? I've seen it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a strange thing when that thing hit Netflix. So that, you know, at work, I don't really talk about my running all that much. I mean, the people I work directly with know I do some of these runs, but um, when that movie hit Netflix, <laughs> there were random people in the hallways saying, "Hey, aren't you in that?" that movie <laughs> it was so funny it's, when it's that kind of, a, kind of embarrassing calling. yeah <laughs> people have always known I've run but then I get all these calls have you ever done the Barkley yeah. like well you know I've been there once I, I only I did two loops and, and I one? learned my lesson <laughs> yeah some of us see, that's kind of what I'm getting back to is like some of us just don't learn a lesson I guess I don't know what it is alright so one of the main reasons we got Rob on here today yeah. I like hearing about a lot of Rob's history even though I knew a lot of it just because I've known Rob I don't even know how long I've known you it's been a long time uh, but um, recently just before the coronavirus hit yeah, yeah. Um, crazy thing you had took off to go to the Iditarod 
Trail Invitational, and you were competing in the 350-mile race, right. correct? Right. And this is in in McGrath, Alaska, and all snow. Um, let's go to the beginning of that because I, I yeah. feel like that's got to be a great story. Um, is, did you do a lot of running in it? But go back to the beginning yeah. and how'd you, how'd you get interested in, in doing this yeah, thing on snow and ice and talk about the temperature and things like that? Yeah, again, it, you know, it goes back to up in the ante, doing stuff that's out of your comfort zone just to, to grow and to learn about yourself and just, I don't know, maybe it's an addiction thing. I don't know. It's, it feels like you, at least for me, or I think other people feel the same way, like you just want a bigger challenge like you've, you've done certain challenges in the past maybe it's not as appealing to you um at least it is you know this that's kind of way it works for me so anyways for this race the i did draw a trail invitational i remember seeing advertisements in the ultra running magazine early days when i first got a subscription this is probably back in 2000 or probably before the first advertisement i saw for this race was i think around year 2000 and they had this this guy, this black and white picture, because the magazine was black and white back then. He had this totally f- decked out, I frozen, that frozen beard, you know, and it said something about the "I did a sport impossible" or "They did a sport extreme." I'm like, what is that, you know? <laughs> and so, did a little research, and I thought, no way, that's that's the craziest thing. That, that's like so far out in left field. I'd never be able to do that one. And so I kind of put it put it out there back burner but i what i did do do is follow that race every year and and even the the well-known you know the dog sled race that you know that did a rod just kind of living vicariously through them just imagining what it would be like to to be out there doing that kind of thing and so shortly originally shortly after that i think it was 2002 i, I talked kathy into going up to we actually went up to anchorage alaska to to do the the susitna 100 which does like 100 miles of the Iditarod or part of it, but closer to Anchorage. And it starts at the same place that, you know, this big race I just did. It starts in the same spot, but just as a, like a 100-mile loop. And so we, we picked a, a bad year to go there. It was a really warm year. Like it was um, above freezing when we got to Anchorage. <laughs> and it was, it was actually colder home in, in Huntsville than it was up there. And so... Um, a lot of the sport relies on stuff being frozen, right? Because it's a, it's a winter race. You're you're running over frozen rivers, frozen lakes, swamps, etc. It's it's areas that are only really accessible in the winter time. And that year, nothing was frozen. Like the the, <laughs> the, the, the namesake, the Susitna River, was not frozen. You could not cross the river. And so, rather than cancel the event, they came up with this alternate route, which was terrible. It's a bunch of out and backs on some kind of chewed up. <laughs> you know snowy roads that had a lot of dirt and stuff so we did like 40 miles of that and said no this is not the wilderness experience you know and we felt fine but we were like yeah let's just let's stop and go go play tourists and do some things so we dropped out of that and so kind of forgot about it for you know winter races for a while and then went back you know after that did the fun run at the Barkley, so this is years later, it was like 10 years later, 2012, I kind of got that bug again, like, okay, I've done this fun run thing, I'm going to go, I want to finish a winter ultra, so we went up to uh, Minnesota to, and 
attempted the Arrowhead 135. This is basically in Canada. It's as far north Minnesota as you can go. And as luck would have it, I was the same jinx again. We brought warm weather with us. <laughs> we start this race. It's above freezing. And that makes it really difficult to... Because you have a bunch of required gear. You have to have a bunch of survival gear. Basically, if you get in trouble, it's way you can get warm. You can melt snow to make water, etc. So all this gear is really heavy. adds up. So you end up pulling... You, have to, you put it in a sled and pull it behind you. That's just the most efficient way to go. And when it's warm like that, the snow gets super sticky, and so it makes it pulling it real it's difficult. Hard. Yeah, and in, in ideal conditions, you hardly notice the sled when it's real icy. So we, it was real hard going, and so we decided to stop again, probably about forty miles in. And so this is for the birds. Yeah, it's like this is this is horrible, but we. <laughs> but in retrospect, it was a good that we stopped because um, as we're driving, getting out of there, back to the start line. All of a sudden, it started snowing heavily, like heavy, wet snow. It dumped like a foot of snow, and I think only a handful of uh, people on foot finished because you can also choose to ski or bike, and biking is the most popular. You know, they ride these fat bikes, and they don't have as much trouble. And so basically no rookies finished that race that year, so we might have made it a little further probably, and probably had to get rescued by you know someone on a snowmobile because that's ended up what what happened to most folks that uh, weren't so lucky so again i was like ah you know maybe this isn't for me you know but then i got you know other things happen other other races and it's like no i want to i want to give this a serious go now i'm not getting any younger i'm i think i want to you know i want to finish a winter ultra and maybe start thinking about going up back up to alaska and doing you know the impossible or the, the extreme or whatever and uh and so a couple of years ago went up to wisconsin and they had an 80 mile um foot race called the, the tuscobia there's an 80 mile and a 160 mile the 80 mile does one length of this it's basically a rail trail that in the winter time you know it's covered in snow yeah and so the 160 does out and back but to just to qualify for that you have to do the 80 mile so i went up and did that race and had a great time. I mean, I, I finished finally, so it's like my first. How long did eighty miles taken, Nick? That was about, I think it was about twenty-one hours. Not bad, you know. Um, you know, you're pulling. You know, I was an Eagle Scout, so I was like over prepared for everything. So my sled <laughs> was probably like fifty pounds. You know, way too much stuff. It didn't touch half, half the items. I mean, you have to have a fair amount of stuff because it's this isn't like a normal ultra marathon. There's not an aid station every few miles there's no pacers no crew allowed so there's you know the 80 mile there's only one checkpoint about halfway so you know whatever water or food you're gonna need you kind of have to have it with you Dang. and so that you know that adds to the weight and all that so i finished finished that race and i was hooked because it's um, people told me afterwards it was it got down to like 30 below and it never the windshield never got above zero the entire time but i felt i mean i, I was like it didn't even phase me you know, I, you can because i learned you know obviously since we don't have real winters like that you know in alabama i had to read a lot read a lot of race reports figure out what kind of gear people are using and then watch our forecast carefully because you know we have that one or two days a year if you get up early enough 
you, know, you might have some single-digit wind chills, maybe. Maybe. So <laughs> I would watch the forecast and like, oh, yes, you know, it's going to be zero degrees of wind chill tomorrow morning. So I'd get my stuff and I'd go out there and, you know, practice a bit. Um, so finally, so I did the 80-mile and I went back the next year and did the, the 160. And then... Dang, how long did the 160 yeah. take? Oh, gosh, that was like 58, 58 hours. That was... Much much longer. You interested in staying out there that long, Scotty? <laughs> not not on not in the winter. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's different though. The the you know the cutoff times are pretty pretty relaxed. So what I like about it is uh, you know you have all this emergency gear and you know you can use it if you want. And so you kind of go until you get really tired and you just pull off the side of the trail, pull out your sleeping bag, and just. To sleep for a few hours it's no big deal you know what about so, wildlife out there any kind of well that you know, for that race there's you know there's not much out there um so you didn't have it, to worry about animals or anything not yeah not not the tuscobia um you might see you know mostly deer and stuff like that because it's even a rail trail it's there's still like towns around and you know houses and stuff um because to just to 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 do the the race we're going to talk about in Alaska, there's qualifiers, and that 160 was a qualifier. So that's is that where you got your qualifier? Then that was one. You had to add two. So I, the yeah, actually, I mentioned I did the 160, but before I did that, in between, I went up to um, Canada. I went to Winnipeg, and they had a hundred mile race up there, like a point to point which is kind of crazy because they they basically just drive you out almost to the, the U.S. border. You, they just drop you off and you run back to, to Winnipeg, <laughs> and that was that one was a little bit different. They didn't have quite because it's on a lot of roads, kind of backcountry. It's like kind of strolling gym roads, but they were flat. It was not. There's not a hill on that course. Oh. Super flat, but it's all in this awful headwind the whole time, you know. And it's you know February. It's super cold, and but since they can get to you easily if you had trouble, you know you have cell service the whole time um their their required gear is not as extensive and so you can actually get away with wearing a backpack so you can actually really run more of that so that one still took like about 28 hours and i I actually won that race wow but you know first of i think there were only 15 of us that started (laughs) as you imagine they're not it's not super popular it's a it's a very niche kind of group that does these things but at the same time between these races I've done, I've kind of met or, you know, revisited people, the same people over and over again. And so that all kind of snowballed into this race I did in Alaska. A lot of us decided to, to go because we all qualified around the same time. And so going off to Alaska this time, I knew a bunch of folks that were doing it. So that was kind of neat to show up there, not, you know, be totally, um, so, you know, not know anybody. And, so what was the race date of this 350 that you Right, exactly. We started exactly a month ago. We started March 1st. A month ago today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so that one, unlike these other winter races that have mandatory gear, and that's part of the registration process when you when you show up to get your bib number. They check your gear and make sure that, you know, your sleeping bag has the right cold rating, that you got the right kind of stove and fuel and all this stuff. Well, you go to the race in Alaska, it's considered a postgraduate race. There's no gear check. Hmm. I mean, you can just show up 
the starting line and just running shorts, and that's it's, it if you for, want to. It's for know? veterans. Yeah. So it's up to you to decide. Excuse me. It's not corona. <laughs> it's allergies, people. So <laughs> you, show, you show up there. They're like, hey, you know what you're doing. You can take whatever risks you want. And uh, so some people get away with very little, and some people, more like me, kind of pack rats. Um, how, how how many days did you go out ahead of this race? Uh, just, it was the minimum. I showed up like on a, a Thursday. The race starts, it's weird. It starts on a Sunday at 2 p.m. And I think the reason for that is the dog sled race starts exactly a week later at the same time. And, you know, this is a winter trail. This is, like I said before, this is a route that's only accessible in the wintertime. It's smart. There, there are um, reflective blazes on that Diderot Trail whenever there's trees, but, you know, you get some sections where you're in the middle of a swamp, I mean, miles, miles long. It looks just look like an open field. Um, so, you know, depending on how much snow there's been and how much snowmobile traffic, there may not be a trail. And so um, they, they try to time our race to start just ahead of the Diderot, you know, the dog race, because ahead of the dogs, they have a official like a trail breaking team basically a team of snowmobiles that drive the the route and pack down the snow hopefully you know at least once or twice and uh so i show up you know so we start you know at, you know 2 p.m on a sunday and keep in mind when when all this started we were just kind of hearing a bit about the coronavirus here you know there was like a case in california i think you know, I flew, flew through Seattle getting up there, and there was some nursing home that had a bunch of cases, but it wasn't a huge deal yet. So now it's like news blackout for, you know, it took me eight and a half days to do this race. So imagine, you know, no big deal. Oh, kind of knew something was coming, but we didn't know the extent of it. And then now it's news blackout for, you know, over a week. Eight and a half <laughs> days in a yeah. race, though. Yeah, it was, that was far beyond what I thought it would take me um I was very naive going in just because the you read about years past like even last year they had great conditions you know folks I know were doing it in like six days and you know the course record for on foot is like just over four days and and they hadn't had like a really bad year in a while like it'd been probably eight or ten years but what happened was we the that Saturday, it started dumping snow like crazy. So we start the race in a dump, basically two feet of snow as we're as we're starting. We're it's snowing. What's going through your head when that's happening? <laughs> I'm freaking. I mean, I'm kind of freaking out. You know, I mean, in some ways I'm calm because this that's kind of part of the sport. Like you can't. It's useless to try to fret about it. You just kind of deal with it on the fly and adapt. And so. You know, I brought snowshoes with me, thinking, oh, I'll probably never use them, but I'll bring them just in case, because it's, everyone says you should should bring them. Some of the other winter ultras, you know, you, you pretty much know you can leave them at home. Um, but this one, it's, this is a real deal, because you, you get in trouble out there. I mean, honestly, you're, you are on your own. I mean, no one's going to come <laughs> come get you. I mean, you can, you can send an SOS out, but, you know, it's going to cost you. You know, it's going to be search and rescue. And or you got to hike out to some one of the villages that we pass through because there's you know mandatory places you have to, to pass through and you can arrange your own transportation out of there. But it's 
as you can imagine, it's not, not cheap. And so you have the strong motivation to, not, to make smart decisions and keep moving forward. So, you know, it's snowing heavily. We're losing the trail. I mean, because it, as it's, it's snowing heavily and the wind's blowing. So what that does is it, you got the snow that's falling from the sky that's covering up the trail, but then the wind's blowing. There's a lot of loose snow around you, and that blows into the trail. And so pretty quickly, like, you can see a guy ahead of you on skis, and then you're looking down, and you don't even see his trail. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's so the trail's disappearing. And so pretty much from about 10 miles into this race, almost nonstop I was in snowshoes. There were a couple days I was, we had good enough conditions that I didn't need to wear snowshoes. And, you know, for a guy from Alabama, snowshoes, that's not, that's not the, something we... You ever had any snowshoes on, Scott? I never yeah. thought I'd ever need any yeah. of that. I've never had a pair on. <laughs> it's terrible because, you know, a lot of these guys that do this sport, you know, do it regularly, they actually go, shoes to go snowshoe and they have nicer, like lightweight you know, really designed for it. And I had some old clunky things that we'd bought, you know. <laughs> they were, you know, they, they did the job, but they were not ideal for, for this kind of situation. They, they, but they held up, though. I didn't have any, you know, equipment um, problems. But Was there ever any times where you thought, there's no way I'm going to go the whole distance? I mean, I can't imagine yeah. getting in 100 miles in and thinking I've got 250 yeah. miles to go. No, I couldn't do that. Yeah, it's... What was going through your mind 100 miles in? I mean, I knew I, w- I knew I had plenty of time. I knew I was going to finish. Um, but it's just, it just got to be so slow. Like, <laughs> you know, two miles an hour was, was fast. Like two I'm, miles an hour. Especially because you're in, in snowshoes. That's 30-minute miles. Yeah, and it's, it's slow. And That's Barkley Place. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> but I did see you were posting some pictures on Facebook um from right. the trip there that were a couple really... yeah there were a couple i got fortune there were a couple spots um i think about 100 miles or so in that you know the checkpoint was like literally it's just like a they call it a roadhouse it's just like a, a lodge it's on the i did our trail because some of the sections get enough snowmobile traffic because you know people believe it or not live out there like <laughs> year round um off off these rivers because actually it's more accessible a lot of these places on on the rivers during the winter because it freezes up so there's, there's a lot of commerce back and forth and uh so some you know there is some some cell connection some some wi-fi what was your average temperature while you were there so we, we kind of had cycles i mean it would get up maybe in the 20s at, at the most you know above zero but we had these cycles where it would just dump snow like that and then deep cold like it would get 20 below 30 below at night mm. not even the, the wind chill like sometimes I, the wind. I, i'd be worried about <laughs> my hands and feet with that kind of cold yeah yeah, uh, yeah. it was you get kind of it's weird you kind of get used to it. you can dress you dress warm enough your your main concern is i mean it's easy to dress warm you got enough stuff it's just for your effort level trying to avoid sweating because you, you start sweating a lot you get wet underneath not good and that's that's never good and so you you're constantly taking layers off putting them back on or just you know slowing your pace just to take a break to avoid avoid sweating so after you got to the finish what was the what was the the time limit how many much time did you have, you have to do? A, you have 10 days and somewhere along in there we had some 
that information. I think we're, I was about halfway, and they kept saying that the cutoff to the, the next checkpoint was something crazy, like a, only like a, another day. And it was, it was not good information, but I was kind of stressed out. And I was actually able to, it was one of the few times that I was marching along. And I looked to my right, and I could see like a, like a cell tower there. And so sure enough, my phone worked, and I, I called home just to ask because no one you know i was all by myself right so i, I couldn't confirm information uh, so i'm talking to you know my wife kathy and it's like no it says here it's whatever it was we were kind of tracking you yeah. uh we had some kind of you had some kind of tracking device on you or something right they, we could kind of see where you were and sometimes it looked like you were on course sometimes it looked like yeah. you weren't on course <laughs> yeah it's a crazy thing because there's no you know it's not i mean the iditarod trail is sort of marked but there's a lot of other markings out there there's a lot of um, like mining trails and all this stuff. This year, probably the only upside of all the snow was the trail was literally just this big trench through the snow. Like on either side, I mean, the snow was always at least probably three feet, you know, tall on either side of the trail. So if you stepped off the trail, you were going to be, you know, chest deep mm. in the snow. But the, the upside with that is there was usually not a lot of options to go. Like you were, the only route to go was the, in the trench. In the trench, um, and you know, other years, low snow years, it could be more uh, tricky. So you get through this 350 miles, and uh, what waits on you at the finish line? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I didn't was even, there medals? Do you finish your medal? <laughs> yeah. What do, what do they? What do you get for doing this 350 mile race? Yeah, so that shirt. was yeah. You get a shirt. <laughs> oh yeah, you got a 350 mile finish. That's shirt. that's the crazy thing is that there's these checkpoints, and I was always so looking forward to getting to the checkpoint. Like it's gonna be awesome. I'm gonna get some good rest and some food, and you get there, and it's it was never what you expected. <laughs> you know, a little disappointing, huh? Yeah, I mean, it, they they do the best they could, but you know, being I was you know, so much slower than expected. You know, as you might imagine, people ahead of you are ravenous, and they're eating all the food and <laughs> um but you know it, it all it all worked out um so you get to the finish it's literally just this this couple this old couple that have um they just opened their house to the racers they've done it for as as old as the race has been you know 20 25 years <laughs> and they just let the runners or the athletes take over their house for so many days and they cook food and so you get there and yeah, I finished. I think it was about two in the morning, and you know it's it's not like a Western States finish. No, like it's two in the morning. Luckily, I found the house. You know, <laughs> it had the banner on the side of the road there, and they had some signs kind of leading up to it. And yeah, I was ready to be done, and I was all. That's the only time I ran. I think the whole time, because you you get about eight miles out, and you finally get off the trail. There's that's the other thing is. You have to pass through the specific checkpoints, and but the route you take is totally up to you. And so this year was pretty self-explanatory. You just stayed in the trench, right? But there are a few places you can, um, if you kind of know, have some intelligence or know about the conditions, you can. There's some different ways you can go because oftentimes the bikes would take a different route because it might be a longer route, but maybe easier. Did you um, take a shower at all during those eight and a half days? No. No I'm sure I was pretty ranked. <laughs> I don't know. I wonder about but, that. Uh, you might have just been too frozen to be ranked. Yeah, I don't know. But, uh, yeah, so I finally it's, ran. The last eight miles was on this. It's actually a plowed road 
in the town. So that was a, that was a good way to take because there was another way. You just stayed on this river. It was like the same distance, but apparently it was not a good way to go. <laughs> it was not as traveled. So it was, did you shower when you got done? I did. That was one of the first things I did besides, you know, brush my teeth. Yeah. I yeah. bet it felt good. Oh, man. Did you just go to sleep or did you eat? I remember when you got back, you looked really thin. Yeah. I definitely lost, you know, a lot of weight because, you know, there wasn't a lot at the checkpoint and you didn't want to stop for very long. And you just burn so much energy. You can't replace it. Even just even just hiking, you burn so much energy. But then hiking with snowshoes and pulling, you know, I think my sled is about 40 40, 45 pounds. Yeah. I just remember when you got back, it was the thinnest I think you've ever yeah. been. And, of course, we lost Dwayne during that time. No, that was, I heard about it on the trail. I mean, we, you know, we all knew he was really sick, and I was just hoping, you know, praying that I could talk to him about it, you know, get home and talk to him about it. But, uh, you know, I found out about it, you know, out on the trail, and that was, that hit me pretty hard. Yeah, and how much more did you have to go at that point? I think I was about, about halfway, um, mm. maybe a little over halfway. But it was it was a tough thing because it was probably one of the most beautiful sections of the course. And then I get a message from from Kathy because mm. I, I was carrying this, this satellite device where I can get text messages and navigate. And so we we would chat. So yeah, that I mean we you know we kind of knew it was coming, but it still hits you hard. You oh know? yeah. And uh, yeah, I, yeah, I was on my way to Mississippi Fifty. Yeah. Um, right. That Friday. Um, what kind of questions you got for him, Skyler? I, I honestly hadn't heard of the Iditarod before. Yeah. Um, I, I had known about the Barkley and everything, but um, what keeps you motivated to do this kind of stuff? That's a good question. It's a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Probably it's a challenge. It's a challenge, and, you know, it is it is up and upping the ante, you know. It's just bigger, bigger, bigger uh, Okay, so what's going to be next? That's, yeah, what's going to be next after <laughs> your... Well, I mean, it'll, it'll be a while, but one of the, the silver linings of being challenged so much this year with, with this race, even all the veterans said this is probably one of the toughest <clears throat> years they had because um, only three people finished the full 1,000 mile because there's a – I call it the fun run. People so the don't three, like that. But the 350 is a fun run? I call it the fun run. People, <laughs> people don't like me saying that, but <laughs> it's still pretty difficult. But the, the big race is – the full thousand miles all the way to, to Nome. So like the dog. Three fifty to the thousand, there's nothing in between there? No, the three fifty is a qualifier for the, the long race. And so there were I think there are probably about fifteen people, you know, anyway, race the three fifty finishes in McGrath and there are about fifteen people continued on um, to Nome. To only two people on foot. There are supposed to be like twelve, but conditions were so bad a lot of people are they still out there no <laughs> so what happened was the there was this team of bikers that were moving pretty well um so they had a pretty big gap on the people following them the other other bikes and i think one skier and uh what happened was they eventually you you're crossing you're basically making your way towards the the coastline the um i forget the name of the the sea but you're making way to the, the ocean basically and because Nome's on the coastline and there's a section probably about 200 miles to go you have to cross the the route's always over sea ice it's basically where the um the oh, that part of the ocean the sea freezes over and that's like the fastest way to get between villages rather than 
stay on the coastline. So there was no coastline trail at all. Like like I said, there's so much snow. There's no there's no trail put in. They were expecting people to go across the sea ice. Well, this huge storm came in, you know, as predicted, because that's kind of what the cycle was. Like even even a month or so before my race, following the weather up there, there's always this big storm, like every five, six days. So unluckily, um, for most of the, the racers, this big storm hit up there, and it causes storm surge, like a hurricane-type storm, storm surge. And what that did was it broke up all the sea ice. So it was unsafe. You couldn't cross there at all. And only those three bikers, they were fast enough. They'd gotten ahead of the storm, so they made it through that section before the, the sea ice broke up. And so they were able to finish, even though I had a lot of trouble because of the storm. They had to wait out. Make some several attempts to go, and they had to turn around and come back because the trail was mm. disappeared. It was a whole story there, but the the short of it was the people that were unlucky that didn't cro- get across that area before the storm hit. They were basically forced to stop. You know, the National Guard came in; they were evacuating people. And holy smokes! So, <laughs> well, that's yeah. That so that sounds like some pretty challenging times. Yeah, it's just I don't know what it is. It's that area is just so. It seems kind of fragile to me because it feels like, you know, um, I don't know how many years you'd be able to do this race. You know, you, you talk about the climate change. Whether you believe it or not, you know, if, if it's warming up, it's this kind of race would be super tough to do. You know, you can't do it when it's warm, and it's something I think I want to do before, you know, while I'm young enough, you know, relatively to, to do how, it. How old are some of the older folks that are doing it? I mean, there's, there's some older folks. There was a, a skier that... He was at like the first I did a sport race because it used to be called that I did a sport, but then it that race management folded and then this other group, the Invitational, they, they took it over. But he, he's like 70 years old. He was there back. He's a skier, and he he's moving pretty well for for older guy. But there's a lot of older folks, and you know the bikes, you know they get the right conditions. You know they can move pretty quickly, so it could be. So you finished the 350 mile. So this qualifies you to do the thousand mile. Yeah. And yeah. is there a time frame in there? That's, do you have to do it next year? No, I think I think once you've done it, I mean, I've, obviously, I think if you you know you wait a really long time, they're probably like, well, who's this guy? You know, it's been too yeah. long. But as far as I know, there's not you know a hard fast time limit. I mean, it's definitely you definitely need to keep up. Keep you know, building experience, you know, I definitely, that's something I want to do, but it'll, it'll be a few years before I even think about, you know, going back. Hmm. It's just too tough because you have 30 days to finish that race, and I can't imagine being away for 30 days, <laughs> let alone moving, you know, not, you know, being under that kind of stress. I went through eight days of doing that for 30 days, you know, worst case. Yeah. I, I, and just being away from home and, you know, small child at home. I mean, that's, no. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It'll, be, it'll be a little while. If ever, I mean, I, I don't know. Part of me is like, you know, I think maybe that's just, this is enough. But but Kathy keeps saying, no, you <laughs> you're gonna want to do the whole thing. You know, you will. Holy you know. smokes! But I don't know. That's, I don't know. That's I think a thousand long. mile race just in good conditions on the road would be hard. Right. Uh, think about that. You know, snow and ice and rivers and yeah. frozen seas and all that. It's so unpredictable. <laughs> and that's maybe part of the allure too. I don't know. It's it's hard to. Have they lost anybody in these type races before? Yeah, no one's no one's ever died. They've had some close calls because a big thing that 
I've never experienced, and I, I experienced it out there. This one, I've got so many stories I could spend hours <laughs> just giving the play by play. But there's something called overflow there. Um, for whatever the reason, you're, you're crossing areas that are supposed to be frozen over. But <clears throat> they're not. For whatever reason, either it's the ice cracks or what, whatever happens, you'll end up at a spot that's covered in water. Like it still may be frozen underneath, but it could be a foot or more water on top. That's called overflow, and it's super dangerous because now you know you don't want to get wet. You got to cross it, and then you don't know what you're crossing. If you, you know, if it's at night, you can't tell what's below you. So oh you're my using like a ski pole to tell, you know, because it could, you know, it could just be a hole, you know, and you plop right in, right? And they've had people. That's what they've done. They've gone right on, right on in, fully submerged. No, 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 no. And, <laughs> and no. the only thing you could do there is you you try to dry yourself out. And get warm best you can. Like build a fire. That's why you know they they encourage you to carry. You know know how to build a fire, and that's literally what this guy did. Is on the side of the trail, just you know got warm in the sleeping bag, built a fire, dried his clothes out. I mean, I don't know how long it was there to until he got totally reset. But but no one's ever. Did you died. have to sleep out on the trail at all during? Oh yeah, the yeah. Most uh, at least I think a couple nights. So sometimes you had a place to stay. Yeah, if you were if you were lucky, um, but you know one of the checkpoints it was literally just you know an eight by eight foot wall tent in the middle of nowhere, and they had a first come first serve rule. They could only fit six people in there at a time. So if you're coming in with like a big group behind you, you know once they were once they hit capacity, they'd start kicking you. You know whoever's been there the longest, they'd kick them out. So <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to like leave. You just had to get out of the tent. You could sleep outside in your stuff you know but it's you know it's not as nice so so yeah leaving that checkpoint because I, I got there and it was yeah, this little place called Rhone and at this about 200 I think yeah but about 200 miles or so in and uh it was still like early it was like late afternoon and my way I was trying to approach the race is travel as much as I could during the daylight go into the darkness and then once I got tired I would just find some place to sleep and sometimes it would work out I made it to you know a checkpoint but definitely a couple times I did not so that was one of the places it was still out of daylight and I knew there was people behind me and there's already people there and like I was probably going to get kicked out and so I went further down the trail and I didn't study the course as, as much as I should have and I should have stopped sooner. Like there were nice places, like some nice woods where it'd been out of the wind and real comfortable place to sleep. But I kept going. I was kind of greedy. Like, oh, that's not the a good, good enough spot. I'm gonna keep going. And so it got later and later. And I was this was like a 20 hour day. I've been going, oh my goodness. you know, all day. You know, two miles an hour. And finally, I've just like I've got to sleep. Like I've got to stop. And it was the worst place imaginable. <laughs> it's it was this, they call it the burn. This this huge area that been through this huge forest fire you know 30 years ago and it was nothing just wide open dead trees everywhere like nothing no protection at all and it was you're right at the on the far side of the alaska range so all this wind is hitting you and it was just a crazy spot you're tired and so i finally found like a little cluster of these pine trees they're kind of growing close to the ground and i had to like unhook my sled and like low crawl like crawl on my stomach to get into the where the trees were and then pull my sled in behind me and prop up the sled to block block the wind so i slept in basically like this little foxhole i kind of dug out 
Yeah. You feel like you were in a, a, at war there. Yeah. So that was crazy. <laughs> but after that, that's like I was kind of scared. Like this is this is dumb. Like what am I doing? <laughs> you know? Like I should have stopped before. But that kind of like after that, that kind of broke me in, if you will. It's like having that first battle. You know, when you're at war, maybe I don't know. I mean, I'm not. I've never, yeah. I'm not going to compare it to war or soldiers or anything like that. Well, it was a that, different but, kind. Of, it was a different kind of war. But for me, it was it was a very kind of a frightening experience at the time but I got through it and I did fine and so after that that night I was like okay I'm I'm, I'm ready for anything you know three but, 350 miles in the snow come on Scotter let's go you can what do you this think? man this just kind of got me thinking about the Appalachian Trail more yeah you said I? you wouldn't <laughs> want to be gone for 30 days doing the 1000 mile but would yeah. you ever do something like the AT the whole thing man I don't know. I've always thought about that on the back burner. That would be pretty cool. I yeah. think it'd be pretty awesome. But again, you got to have a lot of time. I mean, yeah. you're looking at two months. Yeah. I mean, when I did, that, that's what kind of started this whole seed was I did 10 years ago, actually, was the Pen, I did the Penhote, our local Penhote Trail, 300, at that time it was 335 Yeah, miles. and you were doing that during the summer because I can remember going down there yeah. and meeting you down there. It was in May. Meeting. I started on May and it was bad. It was the year. It was hot. I think it flooded like in Nashville and strolling gym was rainy but um but that kind of started it because I had I did that that was my first kind of multi-day yeah and that was just uh a solo effort basically you and yeah. Eric Charette was yeah it, just y'all two right just the two of us and we had you know Josh Kennedy was he was crew chief. he was incredible like he he'd, I pop, remember he'd, that. he'd pop out of the middle of nowhere and find <laughs> find like a trail crossing and <laughs> there he was with you know food and drinks and so I couldn't have done it without him that was very pretty cool. incredible but but i learned from that at the same time like man i could do this i want to do more minimally something like that more minimally next time you know maybe not as extreme as the winter stuff multi but, multi multi days there scouter what do you think but self-supported i think you should do it man <laughs> I, e- I don't know about it. the winter stuff yeah but, yeah well i think it's Pretty interesting stuff. 350 miles on the uh, Diderot Trail. Rob Younger did it. Uh, people, you're better than you think you are. You can do more than you true. think you can. Um, Rob's living proof of that. And we'll have Rob back on again because I'm sure he'll have some more adventures to tell us about in the future. Sure, anytime. Good to have Absolutely. you, Rob. Thank you.